Hello, welcome to Kasinatian, Kasayuran, Kasaysayan, Kamatuuran. A show dedicated to discussing the latest topics of Philippine the latest topics of interest on Philippine politics and society from the perspective of Filipinos in general and Cebuanos in particular. This is your host, Ryan Dave Raila, educator and voice in the wind. This time, I'd like to discuss with you about education in the Philippine setting. And for tonight, we shall have our guest, or we have a guest. He is um, Cyrus Adrian Rom, also known as Sian. So let's welcome Mr. Cyrus for for this evening. Good, e- good evening, bye. Good evening. Good evening. I'm Sian, I'm from a uh, spokesperson of Anak Bayan Cebu. Okay, so Sian, sorry, no, for the for the mispronunciation. Okay, um, to to put context for our audience, so we are talking about education today and the state of education. Now, as um, you're a student also of University of San Carlos, correct? Uh, yes, I, I will, uh, a little bit of a correction there. I was a student at the University of San Carlos, but I took a gap year. Ah, okay. So you're taking a gap year today. Okay. Uh, this year, <laughs> that is. Okay, now, um, regarding education, as a, as, a context, as a context for the audience, regarding education, um, all over the world, there has, been, there has been the disruption of education because of COVID-19. But even before that, education in general has had many issues especially when it comes to inequality no and as filipinos uh, we are not stranger we are not strangers to in to the inadequacies and to the inequalities present in our educational system so we have a unique perspective for tonight coming from our guests regarding what um, he and his organization views as um, the problems and the potentials of philippine education today so Sayan, um, let's go to our talking points. Okay, so first off, um, education today, education and neoliberalism. Can you expound on that, please? Um, when we talk about neoliberalism, we're usually talking about a form of economic policy that developed in the 60s and the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of economic policy, or sorry, the 70s and 80s, this kind of economic policy came about as response to the general stagflation that the U.S., Britain, Chile, and other countries in, of the world uh, faced during that time, right? Um, so mostly, when we talk about neoliberalism, we're talking about the various forms of policies that came about in this period and their continuation to today's uh, to today's economic policies, right? So, what is neoliberalism in the first place? When we talk about neoliberalism, we're mainly talking about three main policies. Firstly, privatization. Uh, secondly, deregulation, and thirdly, liberalization. Right. So when we talk about the liberal uh, liberalization, we're talking about uh, market liber- liberalization, trade liberalization, about how eco- uh, various economies are removing protectionist policies that are there in place in order to protect local businesses and other um, other sectors within the economy in favor of. Uh, foreign businesses, large multinational corporations that in general exploit thousands of people uh, to this day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For example, there are statistics that uh, 
there are statistics that manufacturing has largely shifted from the third world uh, from the first world uh, due to a process called deindustrialization to the third world, right? And because of these manufacturing policies, the wages or sorry, the shift of manufacturing to the third world, the and liberalization in general, right? Um, the wages of third world workers has been steadily decreasing as their productivity continues to rise, right? So uh, every day, Filipinas continue to produce thousands upon thousands of products in these um, in these uh, manufacturing enterprises, right? In these industries, however, they continue to um, receive very low wages, you know, right? For example, in Cebu, uh, our workers, usually in the industrial sectors, only receive 401 pesos every day, and that's mm. very uh, low compared to what other countries have. Right? Mm. And then when we talk about privatization, we're usually talking about how um, social welfare uh, services like healthcare, electricity, water, these kinds of things that everyone needs to survive is slowly turning into private uh, private enterprises, right? How, like for example, how water in the Philippines how electricity in the Philippines, how communications in the Philippines, these used to be um, public sectors, right? Mm. And because of the fact that they were not funded correctly, they were not funded well enough for them to properly function, right? Because of uh, corruption and other actors that may lead into that, they eventually got privatized into these uh, corporations that now continue to um, extract large amounts of um, large amounts of charges from the Filipino people. Mm. And then when we talk about um, deregulation, we're usually talking about how government services are not regulating uh, corporations or private businesses in the way that would protect their consumers and their workers, right? Mm. How Dole or the Department of Labor and Employment is not um, regulating businesses to stop contractualization, for example, mm -hmm. or low wages, or how they're not listening to the demands of union leaders when they call for a rise of wages. Mm -hmm. um, how CED, or the Commission on Higher Education, is demanding, or sorry, is actually not demanding for regulation of tuition fees in universities, right? Mm -hmm. How universities have the freedom to just uh, increase their tuition because CED just allows them to. Right? So that's deregulation. So these three policies, privatization, liberalization, and deregulation, all um, connive with each other in order to um, make our education, to continue our education as this unequal, this unfair kind of system that continues to oppress and exploit thousands of Filipino students all across the world. Right? So when we talk about neoliberalism in education, we're talking about uh, the manifestation of these three neoliberal policies in education, namely its characteristics in education, its colonial characteristic, its commercialized characteristic, and its anti-democratic characteristics. So we're, we're back to this holy trinity again of um, characteristics, right? So when we talk about colonial education, we're talking about how education has become um, mainly the puppet of international financial institutions, right? For example, how their uh, books that are being used for college-level courses are usually funded by the World Bank, 
because of the uh, different policies that have come before um, during the Marcos and Cory Aquino era, or how um, K to 12 happened. You know? mm-hmm. That came from the Bologna Accord or the uh, Washington Consensus, right? Which was a consensus outside the Philippines, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes you which makes you wonder how these foreign international institutions are able to um, influence the policies of education within the Philippines, right? Mm-hmm. These are policies that are necessary, uh, that necessarily have to be decided by our national, um, by the Congress, by the Senate, by our, um, by the national interests of the Filipino people in general, right, and the students in particular. Mm-hmm. However, um, what is happening right now is that the Congress and the Senate are just basically becoming pushovers and bootlickers towards these international financial institutions, right? Mm. So, um, that's one thing uh, that we can say for colonial education. The next is commercialized education, right? Uh, education has become more of a business rather than a right that mm. can be um, that can be um, guaranteed to the Filipino students, right? Instead of um, genuinely free education with a big budget that could accommodate lots of students, we get this fake free education law uh, in which the budget for education has steadily been decreasing, right? So, for example, how the Congress, um, if I'm not mistaken, the Congress approved the 22 billion budget for education, but the president only signed a 16 billion budget for education. That's uh, just way too much of a decrease right, for students that it can really affect how um, that it can really affect how many students can get uh, or can be guaranteed free education right? mm, um, for state universities they have been making exams harder in order to um, decrease the amount of students with that enroll in them right um, and how private universities continue to increase their tuition uh, every year in order to get more profit from students. Right? And finally, when we talk about anti-democratic education, we're talking about how student councils are being repressed, about how student publications continue to be defunded because of their critical stance against the administration, about how uh, CHED, or the Commission on Higher Education, and the Department of Education has become members of the National Task Force Against Local Communist Armed Conflict. Right? Um, part of that, uh, includes the fact that there is the Senate report, Senate Committee Report 10, which um, prescribes more uh, police presence around universities, how the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed Conflict, or the NTFLTAC, has been launching campaigns of red tagging against youth leaders, right? So these three policies mainly connive with each other to continue the new liberal framework of our economy in general. So that's um, one part, or that's a big part of what neoliberalism in education means. Mm. So, coming from what you're saying, Sian, uh, Sian, no? um, I think, I think, um, your views on this one, or at least the organization, your organizational views on this one, is um, that education is tied with the conditions of the current society of Philippi- of contemporary Philippine society. Uh, that's true. That's true. Mm, okay, so coming from that, um, I have an addendum question on that one. No? Um, 
related to what you just said as um, the funding of campus journals or campus papers. No? So, um, what do you think is the, for example, what do you think is the, is the long-term effect of, let's say, for example, just defunding campus campus papers, no? which are a staple of student life in colleges and universities in general. Um, when we talk about long-term effects about uh, college or sorry defunding of campus publications there's a lot of them that can be um that can be mentioned but the, mo the, the most important thing that i want to um put into the table right now is the fact that students don't have a proper form of information a proper um a proper source, right, of information within the university and what the university is doing right now, right? So when we define pub, uh, campus publications, it's usually a, an attack on one or a couple of their stances against the administration because the administration obviously does not want um, their campus publications to be critical against them, right? That's, that's one part of um, some sort of functionalist way of viewing things, right? Because to them, um, a publication that is being critical against their motives, against their um, against their uh, against their actions, right, is a dysfunction within society. is is a dysfunction within their own society. However, when we defund public, uh, sorry, campus publications, we are depriving students of their right to information within local campus politics within what the campus is doing against them right so students won't be able to critically analyze what the um campus administration is actually doing right and this has an effect on students that can be that can make them be more um confused about what is actually happening within the campus right and this can even go as far as closing the campus publication in general, right? It's only one step towards doing that. And that is why I believe that um, defunding campus publications is actually very, um, is actually very uh, scary to think of, right? Because again, it, it, it deprives students of their right to information. It deprives campus publications of their right to produce magazines of newspapers and other forms of uh, stuff that they can give to the students, right? Mm. And that, I think, is only one step towards actually closing them or doing some sort of censorship because um, the administration usually wants to defund public, uh, sorry, campus publications in order to uh, censor them, in order to make them uh, boot lick their, in order to make them lick their boots, in order to make them kneel on the ground and do what they want to do. Right. So that's what I think about uh, the long-term effects of defunding campus publications. I'm sure that there are a couple uh, campus publications in Cebu right now and all across the Philippines that are actually facing these issues um, from uh, universities trying to defund them because of uh, articles that they have written about tuition fee increases or, or online classes and whatnot. Mm, I see. 
So we'll just leave the the issue of campus um, journalism at that one. And by the way, for the audience, no, um, we have already or I have already contacted uh, one of the editors of today's Carolinians. He is um, Bern Smitra, and he has agreed to also do a podcast soon. So we'll have to stay tuned for that one, no. And um, yes. There's also another addendum here that I'd like to add, especially about um, the discussion we have we are having right now is about neoliberalism and education, and that that is the um, this question is about the commodification of skills. No? and lately, um, under the under the um, under the many rubrics of the K to twelve system, there has been um, there there is an there is an emphasis on outcomes. So in general, these outcomes tend to be what we call as uh, not only soft skills but hard skills that students can use, especially after they graduate or especially during their time while they're also studying. Now, um, in regards to that, do you think that these outcomes are also um, a way for neoliberalist agenda to influence education, no? especially when it comes to hard skills that they are earning or that they are learning in institutions? Uh, yes, of course. I, I do believe that that is a part of the neoliberalist agenda to influence our education, right? Because these outcomes-based learning, these hard skills and um, different kinds of skills that students mainly learn in K-12, in the K-12 program, tend to be skills uh, that are um, hardwired to become a part of the general, the globalization of our economy, right? Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, we're already told in our orientations for the K-12 program that K-12 was implemented in order for students in the Philippines to become globally competitive, okay. able to in order to work, right? This is already what we call labor export policy. This is already a part of the labor export policy, where the Philippines is uh, trying its best to train students in order to uh, export their labor outside of the country because we get a lot of remittances from OFW work, right? We have a lot of money that we get we get from OFW remittances that come back to the Philippines, right? So, and part of that is because um, students from the Philippines or generally Philippine labor itself tends to be rather cheap for multinational corporations, right? So, after you um, finish K-12, to if you get a job, it's most likely that you are going to get a job in uh, for other countries. It's most likely you're going to get a job in multinational corporations that are eager to find uh, cheap labor, that are eager to find work that pays cheap for them, mm. right? I see. And exploit that kind of labor, right? Mm. So I think that's really one of how K-12 to um, does this commodification of skills, how they're being students are basically being bought and sold by multinational corporations in order to uh, get cheap labor, in order to maximize their profits, right? Mm. Without having to pay so much for actually skilled labor. Mm, I see. 
So in summary, you know, just for the record, um, what you're saying is that, um, well, from, from your organization's point of view, is that um, the K-12 is actually furthering the, the current situation of the Philippines as an exporter of, of labor, no? of manpower to the world while neglecting its own um, domestic demands and problems. Sure, sure. Okay. So, just for the record lang, no? So, moto siya. Okay. Um, we now go to our second uh, talking point for the evening. Um, Sayan, what is fair education for, I believe your group was Anak Bayan? Yes. Okay, what is fair education? Um, Alright. Okay. When we talk about fair education, we actually have a program that we want to push forward for education, which is what we call a nationalist, scientific, and mass-oriented kind of education, mm. right? So how does this tie in with how fair our educational system is? When we talk about what we want for the educational system of the Philippines, we're not just talking about um, having new policies to be implemented. We're actually talking about changing the entire system from the whole because the very basis of the problems that education faces right now is actually the fact that its system continues to be rotten to the core, which is its colonial, commercialized, and anti-democratic uh, anti system, right? So in order to respond to that kind of system, we need to have what we call a nationalist, scientific, and mass-oriented education, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a nationalist kind of education because we want our education to be responsive to the needs of the national economy not just the needs of the of global demand of the global market, right? We, we don't want our students to be used as cheap labor for multinational corporations. We want them to be able to help within changing and contributing to the Philippine economy in general, which is why we call it a nationalist kind of education, because we want our education not anymore to be influenced by global policies, by, in, by policies from other nations, but rather to be... Um, responsive to the needs of the nation, right? Mm. So we want our students to be well equipped with the, with the skills that um, that pander to the development of the nation in general. Scientific, because we want our education to teach students how to be critical minded and how to um, use the scientific method towards uh, solving different kinds of social problems and social issues. On the other hand, we also want to develop our technology, our um, science, right? Our sciences, in order mm. to uh, give some a relatively good um, contribution to the Philippine economy in general, towards um, industrializing the economy of the Philippines and not just uh, making it continue or continue uh, letting it continue to be this agrarian, pre-industrial and undeveloped economy that we currently face today right and finally democratic uh, sorry mass oriented because you want our education to actually reach out and serve the broad masses of the people we want our education not just to um be there in order to teach students the skills that they need we don't want our education to become diploma meals 
for students just to go outside of the country. We want our education to be truly responsive to the needs of the people. And that is why we want the mass-oriented education, and most especially a free education, because we want our education to be responsive to the needs and desires of the masses, as I've been saying all throughout my part here. Right? We want our education to genuinely serve the interests of the broad masses of the people. So that's the um, what we call fair education uh, that we want to push forward. Right? We want our education not just to become diploma meals, not just to become um, like meals for export of labor, but we want our education to be nationalist, scientific, and mass-oriented. Hmm. Okay. Um, in relation to that note, that since you're you are um, creating or you are painting for us a very vivid picture of an inward-looking educational system that addresses domestic needs. But will such an educational system be also world-class or somehow up-to-date with the global standards of today? Of course, right. Education cannot just be divorced from the um, global demands, right? It has to be up to date, and that's why we call for a scientific education because we want our education to use the most modern, modern, and up to date scientific methods and technologies that uh, have been developed by the global economy of this day. Right? We don't want our education to continue to be living in the 2010s or <laughs> even the 90s, right? We want our education to be up to date to uh, learn from research from other countries to be able to um, respond to the needs of the people, right? Because there are a lot of um, things that uh, have been developed all across the world from vertical farming to cures for various diseases that can be very useful to developing our nation today. We could use those kinds of technology to develop our agriculture. We could use those kinds of technology to develop our medicine, our um, architecture, our engineering, right? We, we don't just want our education to be stagnating, um, to be stagnating, right? We want our education to truly develop forward alongside the, the, the uh, various developments within the sciences and arts all across the world. Mm, I see, I see. But um, also in relation to that, I'm just going to play for a while as the devil's advocate here, no? Um, Will such an ed will such an education also be let's say for example, um, how would it how would it integrate in a world that is generally um, integrated under the K to twelve system no and as as you've mentioned earlier um, the K to twelve system for for you is um, is very one or at least the the because it's also a system that is forwarded by uh, neoliberalist agendas. Um, it's also a system that is disenfranchising the Philippines. So how can a Philippine educational system that you envision also be outside of the current um, global education order that is? Um, it should generally be integrated with, um, as I've said, uh, the educational system of the entire world because, again, we don't want the education to stagnate and just be stuck in a certain time period, right? Mm -hmm. However, um, we also want to uh, push forward for independence when it comes to education. We want to push forward for the Philippines' uh, self-determination when it comes to picking out the educational policies within, uh, or that affects their students in general, right? 
So within a truly nationalist kind of economy or nationalist kind of politics that we push forward, we would try to um, level off or balance the necessary um, the necessary or the needs of the global economy, right? Because that's also one factor that we have to uh, think about. Because we can't just divorce ourselves from global economics in general. Right? We have to make a contribution and we have to get imports and all these other kinds of stuff that uh, integrates us with the global economy. It's very impossible for us to become a hermit, right? Within the global economy, right? Even North Korea, which is um, told to us as some sort of hermit nation that um, keeps itself away from global politics is trading with China, mm. right? It, it's, it, it cannot really be divorced from global econo economics, right? Mm. So even within a nationalist kind of Philippines, within a nationalist kind of framework of politics, we can't really divorce ourselves from the global needs of the entire world, right? So there has to be a balance between what uh, the global market demands but also what the Philippines itself demands. Right? And that's something that has to be done through years of struggle and years of practice before it can actually be perfected, right? Mm -hmm. So I know fortune teller, I can't really tell um, what kind of policies or, or, or um, laws will be implemented in order to achieve that kind of balance. But it has to be done through years of social practice and training of education in order to actually figure out what works best for us in the sense that um, it helps both the global economy and both our national interests. Mm, I see. No? So that's a very good point right there. Balance between global demands and Philippine demands. Okay, um, moving on to the next talking point, and this will be the last one. <clears throat> Speaking of um, Philippine and global demands, um, especially now in the time in the time of the coronavirus no um, it is an unprecedented time considering that um, <clears throat> there are global and then there are this domestic disruptions in education and um, primarily we have been delayed in opening up of classes so i would like to ask you what are your views on education in the time of covid and how does it fit to the narrative that you have been saying to us tonight? Um, right now, um, we can see that um, our education right now is starting to, they're trying to reopen up our education through online classes, distance learning, and other forms of blended modes of learning in order to um, actually push forward for the opening of classes. Right? Mm -hmm. um, we believe that this kind of um, opening of classes is not only unresponsive to the needs of the Filipino people, but also very disruptive and unhealthy towards the needs of the students, towards the needs of the teachers, and other sectors within the university. Why? Because first and foremost, on, not every student is able to, act, to have access towards the necessary, um, it's necessary um, gadgets, electricity, internet connection, and other kinds of stuff that are necessary in order to get, uh, in order to access online or blended modes of learning, right? Even modular kinds of learning poses its own problems because it gives the um, response, or it, it puts the responsibility of learning, or of teaching, towards the parents, right? And that poses many difficult uh, problems for 
thousands of Filipino people or millions of Filipino people out there who live and struggle with poverty. Because for the most part, people who live in poverty have never completed a third degree or a, a tertiary degree of education. They've never completed college, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> even those who have completed college may not be well equipped or trained towards um, teaching their students various forms of math, sciences, arts, and other kinds of subjects that are necessary to um, that are necessary, right? Uh, to teach their students, right? Mm. Only teachers who are licensed to do that should be able to do that, right? So our call for this kind of online and blended learning is to stop online learning in general and call for a ligtas na balik escuela or a safe resumption of classes. Mm. Um, there have been calls from other organizations or youth in general for an academic freeze. We believe that an academic freeze is not a viable option for us right now mm. because it leaves behind a lot of sectors within the university or the college, right? The faculty, the employees, or the non-faculty employees, I mean, and even other students, right, who are going to be left behind with an academic freeze, right? Um, that's one thing. On the other hand, it's not responsive to the needs of the nation in general because when you call for an academic freeze, you're not actually calling for any sort of medical solution, calling for any sort of, of means towards bringing classes again, but you're just calling for a freeze of the academic year because you're capitulating to the crisis, right? Mm. So, just and to, just so that's the problem we see yeah. with academic freeze. Uh, I see. Sorry, so, what did you say? Uh, just to clarify, no. Um, so what is the proposed or what is what are you proposing as a solution in lieu of the academic freeze? So um just to just to give it a name no, for for the record. So what we're proposing or what we are campaigning, not just proposing because we're also mobilizing students for this, is um aligtas na balik escuela or a safe resumption of classes, right? Mm. We call for safe resumption of classes. We we, we um, specifically um, enunciate the word uh, safe resumption of classes because we want mass testing to be integrated. We want health-related solutions to be integrated within the framework of bringing about classes again within the, within the Philippines today. Mm. Right. So when we talk about ligtas na balik escuela or safe resumption of classes. We're not just talking about bringing classes again, opening classes up again in August or October, or whatever. We want classes not just to be postponed or um, freezed or whatever, but rather to be um, to have this medical solution implemented within the universities and the schools in general in order to bring about a safe resumption of classes. And that deters us away from the academic freeze because academic freeze doesn't really give us a um, medical solution to begin with, right? But Ligtas na Balik Escuela does. It gives us a solution that um, it gives a solution that uh, is mainly based around health-related um, health-related um, responses towards the crisis. Mm, I see. So, not academic freeze, but Ligtas Balik Escuela is what you are campaigning for. Okay. Okay. So, hmm. Oh. So that will be all that I'm going to ask you for this evening since we are running out of time, no? And it has been a very comprehensive 
um, it has been a very comprehensive um, discussion with you, um, Cyrus, and we have here to cons uh, we have we have a lot to consider. But I would like to highlight again your salient point for the evening, which is um, a fair education is a balance between global demands and Philippine demands. Okay. So yes, thank you for for your time tonight. I think you're also very busy, especially with your campaign. And good luck with you and your organization on that one. Thank you very much. Mm. Okay. And thank you also for listening to Kasinatian, Kasayuran, Kasaysayan, Kamatuuran. Uh, you can follow our Facebook page at Kasinatian Podcast. And also we are available on different platforms, primarily on Spotify and um, Anchor and also Google Podcasts. So, Cyrus, thank you again for tonight. And for the audience, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. So, this has been your host, Ryan Dave Rayla, signing off.